Our scripture lesson for this morning comes to us from the New Testament book of 1 John, chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Listen now for God's word to you. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this morning we are beginning a new sermon series that will take us through the month of February where we're going to talk about love uh, it seems like a good time of year to talk about love with Valentine's Day being just a, well, just about a week away, right? Uh, so if you haven't made plans yet, here's your reminder to make your plans. Um, and I'm calling this series, What the World Needs Now, which of course is the title of that song from 1965 that was popularized by uh, the recording artist Jackie DeShannon. She didn't write the music, but she did popularize it by being the one who uh, recorded it. And like so many of the great songs from that era, they are written against the backdrop of a lot of social strife and a lot of social upheaval. Uh, The Vietnam War, the Civil Rights Movement, and the assassination of political leaders. Um, And let me just say, too, that social upheaval, social strife is not necessarily a bad thing. It can be an aspect of love. If you think about the the Civil Rights Movement, it was an act of love, but it caused a lot of uh, social upheaval, unnecessary social upheaval. And Uh, it brought us to a greater expression of love, equality, and justice for all people. But I think this song speaks to the deep need for love in the midst of social turmoil and upheaval. I know that many of you lived through that era, the 1960s, and you remember it well. And when I talk to folks who grew up or lived through the 1960s, what they say is that the present moment reminds them a lot of what happened during that decade. And for folks who live through the 1960s, they say that the the present moment has in some ways gone beyond what happened during the 1960s. We are all living through our own era of great difficulty, 
Obviously, we've had a global pandemic that's gone on for the last two years, but we've, we're politically divided on almost every issue, including uh, the pandemic. And uh, there are issues of race and racism that are still going on today, issues that need uh, need reconciliation or need some sort of uh, repentance before they reach reconciliation. My point is this, is that we are all, we are living through a very similar situation. And songs like this one, like What the World Needs Now, or songs like The Sound of Silence, which we sung a couple of weeks ago, right? That was a couple weeks ago now. I'm in a time vacuum like everybody else is these days. Uh, that one, or the, you know, some of the Beatles songs, I think the reason why they continue to be powerful and why they continue to speak to us is that they speak to us about this need for love. And people like me, millennials, who weren't around in the 1960s, we find profound and deep meaning in that sort of music, that they are incredibly spiritual to us. You know, without ever mentioning God, they draw us into a sense of God's presence. No offense to the great hymns and music of the church, but but songs like this, are, I think, are more spiritual, can remind me more of God and God's love than some of those great songs of the church. And the reason why I think that it speaks to us millennials so much is that we have lived through our own great difficulty. You know, a reminder uh, that millennials are getting older now. We're, most of us are in our 30s and 40s, and so the younger generation, those in high school and college, they look at us like we're old fogies and uh, they make fun of the clothes we wear and the music we listen to and all of that sort of thing and the fact that we don't know the lingo anymore. Um, we're getting older now. We have lived through our own difficult moments. Um, we, live, we grew up in the 90s, uh, the, one of the great golden ages in American history with all of the opportunities sitting in front of us, and then September 11th happened. Um, I was in eighth grade when that happened, and so my my growing up years were framed by this sense of uncertainty with national security and the 20 years of war that continued after that and are still in many ways ongoing. Or uh, right when I was getting ready to graduate from college, ready for the economic opportunities that awaited, awaited me after college, the housing market burst and the Great Recession happened. And so we millennials, we have grown up with every foundation, every source we have tried to base our lives on it feels uncertain. It feels shaky. And so songs like What the World Needs Now remind us that there is a different source, that we can find a different foundation on which to base our lives, and that is a foundation of love. We all want love, and where our lives are built is built on that foundation of love. And that is what John is calling for in this beautiful poetic passage that we read here this morning. I heard someone describe it as a dartboard passage in that you could put it on a dartboard and you could throw a dart at it and you would hit something meaningful. This is a, a theologically dense passage. There is so much going on here. And what John says is that God is love. That is one of the most profound statements in the entire Bible. This, in my mind, should be the basis of all theology, all of our talk about God, all of our, our hymns, all of our interpretations of biblical passages, all of our preaching. It all should arise from this foundation of God being love. It's not just that God loves or that God is loving. Yes, God is those things, but it's that God is love. It is what God is. It is the essence of God. And generally speaking, I try to avoid making definitive statements about God because all of our talk about God is necessarily metaphorical because God is bigger than anything we could come up with. 
You know, we're really used to the image of God as father, but God is bigger than just being a father. So I try to avoid those sorts of definitive statements. And, and that being said, I'm going to contradict myself now. Um, this statement, God is love, to me, it is the most definitive statement about God that exists anywhere, that God is love. It is what God is. And what John says is that our lives are grounded, our lives find a foundation in love, not just our lives as Christians, but our lives as human beings are grounded and built on this foundation of love. You know, you can imagine, this is written in the earliest days of the church, and you can imagine that some of the people that John is writing to, they have uh, decided to commit themselves to this Jewish rabbi who gave them teachings that, that gave them a sense of life and worthiness and a thing that they wanted to commit their life to. And so they're starting to wonder, you know, what is the basis, what is the foundation of our lives going to be? And I'm sure that some said the, the foundation of our lives is going to be the things that we believe. The, we have to believe all the right things. We have to write some creeds down so that everyone knows what we believe. We have to give our cognitive assent to all of this stuff. And then perhaps there were others who said it, it depends on what version of the church you decide to belong to. There was Apollos and Peter and Paul and all these other people. And what denomination do you belong to? That's the most important thing. You know, that's been the answer that Christianity has given throughout much of its history. It depends on what you believe. That's what the foundation is. Or what denomination you belong to. Are you Presbyterian or Methodist or Roman Catholic or whatever it might be? But what John says is that the foundation of your lives is love. It is how you are grounded in and rooted in love because God is love. But that leaves a a somewhat unanswered question, right? You know, God is sort of this vague and undefinable term in some ways. and, And love is just as difficult to define, isn't it? We have these two terms, God and love, and they're defining each other, but they're not really all that clear. So what is love? You know, love is one of those things that eludes definition. And we know what love is based off our experiences, based off how we have felt love and, and known love in our lives. You know, again, Valentine's Day is coming up in just a week, and so we remember those experiences of romantic love, that, that wondering, what's happening to me? Why do I feel this way? And, and then risking it all and saying those three words, I love you, hoping that the other person will return and say, I love you too, and not something like, thank you, or... Uh, oh, I, I don't really quite feel that way yet, or something like that. If you want a candid answer on anything, you should ask a child. Um, and this is especially true when you ask them about what love is. I found this little selection of kids, four to eight, who were asked to describe what love is. And Bobby, age seven, who seems to be wise beyond his years, says that love is what's in the room when you're at Christmas and you stop opening presents and listen. Chris, age seven, observing his parents, says that love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says he's handsomer than Robert Redford. (laughs) Noelle, age seven, working through what I imagine is her first crush, says love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt and he wears it every day. (laughs) Cindy, age eight, says that love happened during a piano recital. She was on stage and she was scared and She said, I looked out and all the people watching me and I saw my daddy waving and smiling. Mark, age six, says that love is when mommy sees daddy on the toilet and she doesn't think it's gross. (laughs) 
Did someone say that's wisdom? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those of us who have been married for any amount of time know that that's wisdom. Um, and then Jessica, age eight, says that you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. Out of the mouth of babes, as Jesus would say. Out of the mouth of children, this, these profound understandings of what love is. Even in the hilarity of some of the things that they say, there is some profound measure uh, of what love is. You know, one of the lasting images of love for me is the, the day that we got the call that my 91-year-old grandfather had collapsed at home, was unconscious, and um, they had revived him enough to get him into the ambulance and to take him to the hospital, but there was some real questions about whether he was going to regain consciousness, about what his quality of life was going to be, and um, there really was a sense that he wasn't going to come back. And um, he had been clear throughout his entire life that when it was his time, it was his time, and we were to let him go and to not take all of these extraneous measures to try and keep him around. And, um, and so my grandmother knew that, my Mimi, who I talked about a few weeks ago, um, she knew that. And when the doctor came in to explain the situation to us, that um, chances are that he wasn't going to come back and that if he did, he wasn't going to be the same person. She knew what he wanted and she knew that that decision was going to cause her immense amount of pain. She had been married to him for 70 years and yet she said, I, she said let's we can withdraw care. That's what he would have wanted. And then we were all sitting around the bed as, uh, you know, after they had withdrawn care. And Mimi, who was only five feet tall at that point in her life, she wanted a little stool, and the nursing staff brought one in. And uh, she stepped up onto the stool, and she leaned over and kissed my grandfather one last time. And she said, she whispered to him, wait for me. What is grief, if not love, enduring, one of the Marvel superheroes says? Love that, that holds on even in the presence of death, even in that, that thing is most, that's most final to our existence. Love continues to hold on to us. You know, there's a lot of expressions of love that we could name here in this community. I'm sure you have any number of examples of love that you have experienced here, but but one of the ones that sticks out into my mind is from recently where we gathered together and we did the, the end cash bail writing campaign or the, the Christmas Eve offering to the bail project, collected $9,000, uh, the second largest Christmas Eve offering that we've ever had. And we didn't have to do any of that. Um, we're not a community that's necessarily affected by cash bail. We're not a community that's affected necessarily by mass incarceration, but we did it anyway. And why? Love. Love of our neighbor, care for our neighbor, our neighbor who is dealing with circumstances that are way different than anything that we perhaps have ever experienced. Love is the reason why we respond. And we could talk about Christian responsibility, but all Christian responsibility is is this response to the love that we have for our neighbors. And then, of course, John gives us his own example of what love looks like. It's Jesus on the cross pouring his life out in love and grace for us. That, that even in the midst of that darkest moment, Jesus refuses to lose his connection to love, continues to love, prays for his enemies. And in that, we know the measure and the depth of what God's love is for us. All of these images, John says, are, 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 are all of these are expressions of love, are where we start to see a picture of who God is or what God is, because God is love. In every single one of those moments, we see a picture of God. You know, philosophers and theologians and skeptics alike will wonder where God is. God 
is in every moment of love, in every expression of love that we have experienced. They are little windows into God's very self. And this is where we find our foundation. We find our foundation in love. We find our source in love. It is in the God who is love, not just the God who loves, but the God who is love. And when the world feels chaotic and broken and things feel uncertain and every foundation we think our lives is based on feels to be shaking beneath our feet, we return back to that source that is love. And what these songs from the 1960s speak about, what John speaks about, is that there is a great possibility in love. It offers us a chance for a different sort of world. It gives us a sense of comfort that maybe the world can be all right if we can all tap into that source of love. And I want to be careful here. I don't want to go off into fantasy land, make love sound like it's magical, like it's just this magical solution that will just make everything all better uh, suddenly and, and miraculously. Because love is a risky thing. Uh, love is risky. There is always the risk that the love that you show, the love that you give, will not be returned. God knows that. God sends Jesus into the world, and there are some who do not accept the love that he offers. You know, Jesus was crucified for the love that he gave. He gave love to the wrong people. Love is a risk. There is always a chance that it may not be returned. But love is never wasted because every act of love is puts a little another another stone into the foundation that we are trying to construct our lives on every act of love is a little glimpse a little revelation of who god is every act of love is what the world needs most now and in every moment thanks be to god amen